Amen. I don't think I've ever heard that song before, but I like it. It sounds, is that a spiritual, what you would call a spiritual? Yeah, very nice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, Tom, thank you for your, your well thought out words. I think it was evident in your testimony that you stood up here and you wanted God to get the glory for what he's done in your life. And he certainly did. You gave him that. So glory to God for his work in your life, zippers and all hallucinations and all so well um this is christmas week if you can believe it what six days for those of you that count the days i'm counting the days six days and i'll be honest i can't wait to open my presents and there are a few under the tree most of them for ava but i think there's one with my name on it nonetheless i am still very excited for Christmas morning and the gifts. I've, I've said many times that in my family growing up, Christmas was a huge deal. Um, it was probably our biggest holiday. And mom and dad used Christmas to give us um, things that we needed. You know, school clothes, toothbrush, toothpaste, cologne, or the clothes. You knew, I mean, so everything was in there. But it didn't matter if it was wrapped and you got to tear into it, it was exciting. And so I'm always excited about Christmas. And I, I appreciate the, the uh, cultural celebration and excitement that we have. Not everybody understands Christmas like we do. Those that have, writ, have read the book, the good book and the story of Christ and the story of the manger that Patty just sang about. So we're going to look into... Some of the mysteries of the gospel, as Corky prayed, we're going to look into the Christmas story, but we're not going to look at Luke this morning. We're going to turn back to the story before the story, the promise of the story, and we will be hanging out in the book of Isaiah this morning. So for this year's Christmas sermon, I want to focus primarily on four names. I've heard people say before... I've been called every name in the book. And usually what they mean by that is unfavorable names. But we're going to look at some favorable names that God called his son. And they will be in the book. They will be in the good book. And these names describe the baby that we've all been anticipating during this Christmas season. That we anticipate the baby, the birth of Christ and the baby that is in the manger. And this is the Savior and the baby that we worship Jesus. So I'm going to read seven verses in Isaiah chapter 9. Noah has already quoted a few of these for us. But I'm mostly going to hang around chapter 6. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad 
when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the ramping, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a glorious passage. This is the book of Isaiah was written approximately 600 years before Christ was born. And 600 B.C., as described in this passage, was somewhat of the dark ages, you might say. The dark ages for the nation of Israel, as is described, they were a trampled people. They were uh, an oppressed people. They were burdened. They were burdened with war. They were downtrodden. And it was one of those areas where it seemed like you just couldn't catch a break. I mean, it was just bad news after bad news after Bad news and their hearts were as gloomy as the darkness that's described in this passage. I mean, the sun came up and set like every other day, but yet the land was dark. It was dark because of the attitudes, dark because of the the oppression that was taking place, dark because of the lack of hope. And in the midst of these very, very dark and gloomy Times, Isaiah offers to the people of God through the Spirit of God a prophecy that basically says all of the darkness and all of the evil that you see that has transpired will be undone. So everything that's bad and evil will be turned around into something good. So the darkness that seems so bleak and dark will become a a light so radiant that you will be barely be able to sustain its radiance. The gloom will turn into incredible celebrating and rejoicing. So it's a complete turnaround. Yokes will be broken. Uh, Bad rulers will be broken. And in this prophecy, we find that the rule of this nation, and not just this nation, but of the entire world, will fall upon one man's shoulders. And this will be a person that will be an incredible ruler. That a ruler that can't be stopped. A a ruler that has this resolve to bring, to turn darkness into light. To bring goodness into the world. Absolutely unstoppable. Once he begins his rule, there will be no end to this. As he applies his government, as he applies or imposes his law upon his people and brings his kingdom. So I think about Christ's resolve in his government and what he is bringing about even now. This, what we are celebrating, what we are participating in this morning is part of the kingdom that Christ brought as he was born into this world. 
This is the very work of God for us to gather and to sing the praises of God, to hear the testimonies of God. And we're not finished hearing those yet. This is all the work of God. This is what Christ has started. And he will not stop no matter how dark or gloomy or evil we get or the world gets. He will not stop. And it made me think, how how determined am I to do good? How determined am I to, to see the kingdom of God come in? It doesn't take a whole lot to turn me, unfortunately. You know, as determined and as much as I'd like to see goodness come in, uh, if you upset me, well, there goes the goodness. But Christ, this ruler, cannot be stopped. And then this prophecy is really filled with drama. Because what we begin to see is that the ruler that Isaiah is talking about doesn't exist yet. He's not going to pick this great man that lives in that day and time. And, oh, yeah, well, if he's going to be great, it has to be such and such. Uh -uh. This ruler has not been born yet. And so there's a tremendous amount of drama in this. And this ruler will come and will be born of a woman. And then the drama just increases because this ruler that will come will be born of a virgin there, back in, um, I mean, forward in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this is kind of a complicated story. It's filled with hope and wonder and mystery as God is. But it shall come to pass. And then in this prophecy, you begin to think about, well, the ruler, how can the ruler do all this? How can he extend peace? How can no one stop him? No one ever, no earthly ruler has ever been able to do this before. And you begin to realize that it's going to take more than just your average man or more than even a good man or the best man on earth to fulfill these kind of prophecies and promises they describe abilities that no man can accomplish it's a good time to think about the way isaiah through the inspiration of the holy spirit even organizes these verses the words the ideas and the concepts are presented in a certain way and so we look at verse six before we even get into the names of Christ. He says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And a lot of times scripture just repeats itself. It says the same thing in two different ways. And there's a sense in which it's repetitive in that the world or us, we are given a child and given a son. But why say it like that? Well, it's not all in this particular verse, but if you look at all of Scripture, you find that because this promise is one of many, and it has to fit into the other promises that God has revealed regarding the Savior and the Messiah. And as you look into the promises, you kind of get a mixed message in that, that God reveals that the Messiah will be man, he will be one from among you. He will be born from a woman, just like the rest of us have been born. Yet, he will also be given. Not just born into the world, but given to the world 
as a son. So he's born as a child, but he's given as a son. And the given as a son concept or truth also comes from the idea that not only will the Savior that God sends into the world be 100% man, just and born just like we were born, but he will also be 100% God. And the reason that he has to be not just born but given is because the Son already exists as the Son of the Father of Heaven. So he already exists as the Son. Now, he's born and given to the world as a baby. And he's given as the Son of God because he has never not existed. So he is 100% man and he is 100% God. The child that was born in Bethlehem was given from the Father in heaven. Born of the Virgin Mary. It's a miraculous birth. And that's how the incarnation takes place. That's how God chose to enter into this world as a man and as God. Through the virgin birth, we know it of it as the incarnation. It's an incredible mystery. And yet that's what enables both promises to be true. He will be a man and he will be God. Galatians 4.4 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Same truths right there from the apostle Paul. So it's both. And the incarnation is the heart of Christmas. And what that means, I guess practically, is the, the baby... Lying in the manger, in essence, created the wood to build a manger. And what that means is the baby cradled in his mother's arms created the arms in which to be cradled. The baby that came through the womb of the woman created the womb of the woman. And the angels that sang glory to God in the highest and the shepherds that ran to see the baby were created by that baby. That's the heart of Christmas. And the heart of Christmas is that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. And that Christ can say in complete truth that you are his fellow man. Because of all that we celebrate here at this season of Christmas. And because he's not just man, but he's God, he has the power to fulfill the impossible. These seemingly impossible prophecies that Isaiah brings to our attention. He has God-like power. Exactly. He is the son of God. And that's what we celebrate. And then we find out even more so how wonderful he is or what kind of son, what kind of child he will be by the names that God has given him. 
And we've said many, many times that when God gives a name, it's not just some arbitrary name, but in, in the Bible, they're often used to describe characteristics. It tells you something about the person. And so it's a little bit like how we might use nicknames. They say, hey, Shorty, what does that tell you about somebody? Hey, Slim, or hey, Cutie Pie, or hey, Spuds. So there's a little bit of a description here in the nicknames. Now, what do we find out about Christ, the child to come 600 years before he was born, as described by his father? Well, first of all, let's look at these names. First of all, he is the wonderful counselor. So wonderful describes the kind of counselor he is. As you know, our society is not short on counselors. Counseling is a huge thing these days. Uh, there's there's uh, there are camp counselors, there are marriage counselors, there are career counselors, school counselors, health counselors, grief counselors, family counselors. Like there's a lot of people that need counseling and there are a lot of people out there to offer it. Well, what is a counselor? A counselor is someone that, that it's their aim, at least, or hopes to steer you straight. Uh, you, you have issues, you have problems, you, there's confusion, and they hope to have the words that are necessary to help you get your life straight again, to show you what you need to see in order to do that. Well, what makes a counselor a wonderful counselor? Now, that would be a counselor that actually gets you 100%, can see what the root issues are, and give you perfect advice. Give you exactly what you need. That would be a wonderful counselor. Now one thing as we think about this. That a wonderful. Would make a wonderful counselor. Is that they're always available and willing. And desirous to listen to everything that you have to share with them. So a good counselor, you would say, is one that is listening to you. They want to understand exactly what the issues are. What are your woes? What are your burdens? So there's never a time that this wonderful counselor is not available to listen. There's never a time when we can speak or address the wonderful counselor where he is not desirous to understand our hearts. He already knows them. Now, today, counselors are in big demand, and so, you know, it could take you weeks to get an appointment with the counselor that you, uh, you seek. And yet with Jesus, though he is busier than any earthly counselor, he is more available than any earthly counselor. There's never an out-to-lunch sign on the door when you need talk, when you need to pour out your heart. You know, as a pastor, I try to be available, but I'm so aware of my limitations. And it could be that one time, like you, you've held off and held off, but that one time that you need my counsel the most or need to talk the most, I may not be available. That's happened. Or that one time when you finally, finally broke down and called or left a message or sent a text, I may not be available or even worse. I may not even get it, thanks to the wonders of modern technology. Things are sent. 
and you never receive. These things happen. But this counselor is wonderful because there's just never a glitch. There's never a turn down. He is always available and glad to be available. Another thing is that he's wonderful because as you're speaking to him, he knows exactly what you're talking about. He totally understands. Even if we are not really great at articulating our case or our emotions. Some of us have a hard time doing that. He knows. He knows. It's not li- he is not limited in that way. So uh, when, when Lisa and I uh, counsel people, we have to ask a whole list of questions for this very reason because we want to understand accurately what somebody is trying to to relay. So, um, you know, so we might say, can I repeat after? Is this what you're saying? Because we really want to understand. Or what do you mean when you say upset? Because if somebody's upset, that could look totally different between two different people. You know, one person's upset and they might just have done this. Another person upset, you wouldn't recognize this building. So we, we ask these questions. And what happened before that? And then what happened before that? So we have to probe and really try to get to the bottom of things and, and hope that we do that. And yet with the wonderful counselor, you bring to him your burdens, your pain, your sorrow. He understands it perfectly accurately and even if we bundle things up we can't we're not articulate romans eight twenty seven says and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god so god's purposes are ser- served in us even when we don't know what to say or how to say it so another thing, obviously, that would make him not just a counselor, but a wonderful counselor, is because not only does he listen and hear perfectly and accurately, but the advice he offers back is perfect to our need and, and cannot be more precise and accurate. It's, it's perfect advice. You know, less and less of the advice that we hear today is based on facts. You know, people throw things out as if they're truth, as if they're accurate. And I hope you've noticed that less and less of what we hear today is actually based on fact and more based on feeling or opinion. When we come to Christ with our lives and bear our hearts before Him, anything that He gives us is based in solid truth. It's all based on fact. He knows emotions. He knows feelings. But he's going to tell us what is accurate. He will light the path for us that is sure. Now, I have received good advice in this world. I've received bad advice in this world. But I can honestly tell you that the best advice that I have ever received has been from Jesus Christ, the living word of God. By Far, it is the best advice that I have ever, ever received. He's the Alpha and Omega. He can see the beginning from the end. He's so wonderful that he already knows 
how things are going to turn out. He doesn't have to give advice A and advice B and then give C based on how those things turn out. He already knows this. He is giving us what is absolutely best for us and knows the end from the beginning. And he is so good that if we trust in him, we don't even have to know exactly where he's leading us or taking us. But we know that he is so good and wonderful that we will wind up exactly where we need to be. Even if we don't know where we're going or where he's taking us in the meantime in our journey. That's how good he is. And he's so good that it's not, this is not just a, an individual counseling session. He is the wonderful counselor of the world. He will rule the world like this. Every nation in his kingdom will be ruled by this kind of exact, precise, healing balm of truth. He is secondly described as the mighty God. Now notice the pattern here, not just the counselor, which would be great. Wow, he's going to be a counselor. No, wonderful. And not just God, but mighty God. So not only can he perfectly diagnose a problem and perfectly offer a solution, but he is mighty enough to bring about his purposes. Even in the midst of our human weakness and frailty. Now that's a counselor. Because like as Helmut mentioned this morning in Sunday school, well, you can give good advice or you can have a law there, kind of like the yellow line in the middle of the road. But that yellow line doesn't empower you to stay on your side of the road. That's up to you. Yet we have a counselor here that is that is brimming over with power and power of goodness and the power to bring the change that his children need in his in their lives. He can pull it off like no other being. And he gives us wise but enabling counsel. Just this week I read Psalm 32:8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's God speaking to you. That's God speaking to me. This is what he offers because Christ has come in to the world. Now, what might that look like? It could take a lot of different directions here, but I want to just kind of point out one example. That the counsel of God comes into our lives with the power, the mighty power of God. And one of the ways that often outworks in our lives, is that God, the creative God, the God of truth and order, likes to bring order out of chaos. He loves to tidy up messiness. I mean, he saves sinners. But in the creation of the world, you had nothingness. And this God, because of the God that he is, he's a creative God, he's a beautiful God. And he speaks... Into the nothingness and creates something. He creates all that we know or see from nothing. Creates it by fiat, the spoken word. And then after he creates things, he puts them in their proper order. How he decided they should work together and fit together. So you have the light and then you have the darkness and they're separated. And then you have the spheres, you have the 
the water, and then you have the land mass, but you have the skies. And so each thing are put in their uh, proper place. They're ordered, they're designed, they're working in perfect harmony to the glory of God. They're right and they're good. It was good. Everything God did was good. And one of the ways that God manifests how mighty he is when we trust in him as our Lord and Savior and King, the ruler that we're talking about, is that he brings order to our chaotic lives. Because when we live in the darkness and the gloom, when we follow after sin, sin is destructive. It's self-destructive. And yet this wonderful counselor will come in and he will speak order. And he will bring order. He will banish the chaos. And it's a process. It doesn't always happen all at one time. It rarely happens uh, in big leaps and bounds. But that's what God delights to do, just like he delighted to do it at creation. He delights it to do that for us. Takes great joy in lining our lives up so that we can live in that kind of joy. It doesn't mean, don't mistake that for, and now your life will be smooth. You give your life to Christ and it's just smooth. Try to tell that to the Apostle Paul. Oh, you're, now that you... Now that you're serving the true Savior, life's just going to be wonderful and smooth and order will be brought into it. Well, what it meant for him was a lot of suffering. But that order was there. How? His life was properly ordered. His attitude was properly ordered. He treasured the right things. He valued the right things. He understood now the difference between good and evil and what really was harming him and what really was helping him. And so it wasn't based on his circumstances. It was based on who Christ was and what Christ brought into his life. I recently had um, a car that I didn't drive much. And so whenever I went out to try to start, it wouldn't start. So I thought, well, the battery, I'm diagnosing this car, counseling this car, right? So, well, the problem is you need to be charged. The battery needs to be charged. And so I would charge it and lo and behold, it would work for a few days. So then I thought, well, it's, the battery doesn't just need to be charged. It needs to be replaced. And so then I replaced the battery. And lo and behold, it worked for a short time. And then what it come to find out, what it really needed was a new alternator. You know, and I think about that. And how many times without the wonderful counselor and the mighty God, do we try to patch our lives or misdiagnose and we throw this at it and we spend this money or we go here and we chase after this and we think, that's what I need? It never got to the root of the problem. And this promise in Isaiah is like the root. I mean, the root from Jesse that springs forth from Jesse. He is what we need. Sometimes we do everything but the right thing. Jesus has the power to impart wisdom and holiness. And then God wants us to know that he is this one to come to rule as the eternal father. So now we're talking about time. Eternity. And Jesus is the father of time. He authored time. He designed time. And in order to be the father, the eternal father then you have to have already existed, right? You can't be a father of a child if you didn't exist before the child. Think about that. So he already existed. 
before time. The father of time. He existed before all things as we know it. And the prophecy that we often read during this time in Micah 5, 2, he says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And what he means by that, they're so ancient that he existed before the days existed. He existed. He came from before time. Always existed and always will exist. Tony Evans says, we have, we have security systems that operate 24-7. They stay on the line waiting to receive a call. And Jesus Christ stays on the line of your life. He's your comprehensive insurance policy. He's your infinite traffic controller. He is always on duty because he covers you from pillar to post, gear to gear, because he's the father of time. No part of your life is left uncovered if it's resting on his shoulders. So he's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting or eternal father. And then lastly, not just peace, but prince of peace. He's the prince because God is the God. His father is the God of peace and he's God, the son. So he is uh, the prince of peace. He delivers peace to us and to this world on behalf of his father. And what kind of peace does Jesus offer? Well, he comes and he talks about the kingdom that he is establishing. And he says that his kingdom is uh, one of righteousness, peace and joy. So it's a kingdom of peace. And this kingdom of peace is not based on the things of the world. And here's where we often go wrong. Is when we try to fit God's peace into the peace of this world and it doesn't line up. Because God's peace or the kingdom of God does not mean at this point the absence of conflict. See, he comes and he offers peace to his people in the midst of conflict. Which communicates to us that if that's true, then the peace of God is not determined by the circumstances by which we are surrounded. But that we can have peace when things are wonderful, like a beautiful Christmas day. Or peace when it seems like always winter, but never Christmas. Because Jesus is the Prince of peace. His peace transcends this world. He has overcome the world. It's not a peace that we have to wait for. It will be perfected when the Prince of Peace comes again. But Jesus offers his peace to us now. And so we hear all this grumbling and complaining about how bad things are today. And that may be true. And they're getting worse. And that may be true. Does that make Christ any less peaceful? Does that mean that we are shorted because we live in such hard times? We're shorted of the peace that Christ died and rose again to offer his redeemed people? We know that's not true. 
We know that this Prince of Peace is just as available to us now as he was in the gloomiest days, in the darkest days of any of his people. Kingdom peace does not rely on what happens here. It relies on the power of the resurrected Christ. That's the kind or the source of our peace today. And so for the believer, though everything can be what we might call falling apart, we can still have a peace that transcends this world. Let me try to give you a, uh, an example of this, and I'll close with this example. In Mark 4, 35 through 41, you'll know this story as soon as I start to read it. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now we know that the main teaching in that story is that Jesus is God, because only God can tell creation what to do and not do. We can't do that. I can't say stop raining. Okay, now start now that I've gotten to my truck, it can rain again. God can speak to all of his creation and it obeys his voice. That's the main teaching here. But notice the differences between the outlook and the reaction between Jesus and his Disciples, a storm arises. It's a bad storm. Yeah, it's a real life storm. And water starts coming into the boat. And they fear for their lives. And yet Jesus, Mark says, he's on a cushion. This isn't like he just happened to fall asleep out of exhaustion. No, he curled up on a mattress or a blanket or some kind of whatever cushion they had in that day. And he is sound asleep. Now, it provokes them, they spaz out. They are scared. They're spastic. And it is provoking to them as they are spastic and reacting in this way that he is asleep. And they draw a wrong conclusion. Don't you care? My life, my existence, my little world is about to crumble don't you care? How can you sleep? Now that difference right there. What a question. How can he sleep? Well, he's Jesus, the son of God. And he's about to speak to that storm and calm it. But notice how he rebukes them. You are spazzing out, not seeing the big picture because your faith is too little. Faith in what? 
Faith in Christ. Faith, and then what does he do? Be still to the storm. You see the outlook? Do you see that they thought that they were safe because the sun was out and the skies were blue? And then when that goes away and the storms come, well, now my life is chaos and it's wrecked. You see, they trusted in circumstances. They trusted in sunny days and big paychecks and good times instead of trusting in Christ who created all of these things. And our lives will be wrecked. And we will spaz out at every little thing. And it's not that it isn't real. It's that God's peace, God's might, the wonderful counsel, the everlasting God helps us put it all into its proper perspective. Reality. There's no peace outside the Prince of Peace. It's only inside the Prince of Peace. And we rest in Him. We rest in His power and His might in His saving grace in His promises to us that He will never leave us or forsake us. And He's never out of control. He doesn't, he doesn't experience chaos like we do. And He will keep in perfect peace Him whose mind is steadfast because He trusts in you. It's never... A, if you're hoping for that smooth life, then your hope and... Rest is in the wrong thing. It's the life that we have in Christ. And might, we might experience a lot of pain and a lot of shed a lot of tears in this life of Christ. But he has given himself to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you do not know Him, He has a Christmas gift for you. If you do know Him, He has a Christmas gift for you. And that is, Jesus gives Himself. And that's what we celebrate. And that's why we sing so joyfully during this time. He is a gift worthy of celebration. May God bless the preaching of his word and Merry Christmas to you all. And may he abundantly multiply the gifts under your tree. I've only got one so far, but I think he will do that. And it's not in the bulletin, but at this time, um, Jaden and I think the Moss family is going to come forth and minister to us through a skit about Christmas. And then Riley... Roberts is going to come and she has the honor of lighting the Christ candle. And then Corky's going to close us out.